This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. I want to start out by uh, having us consider a word from our local culture here in Jerusalem and the country. It's not a word in scripture, but it's, I believe, uh, can be an attitude of the Father's own heart that is given, uh, expressed in Jesus himself as he, as he uh, uh, has this encounter with the expert in the law and uh, calls him to put away trying to overthink or think at all about the definition of who is my neighbor to think more about what's happening in my own heart and how do I live the life that is the gift of God? How do I live the life of being a neighbor? And that is a word that it's Arabic, but everybody uh, from uh, 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 Arabs, Jews, international, it's something, just a word that's come into uh, the culture. And that is the word yalla. And yalla can uh, basically, come on, let's get going. And I see a lot of people sort of yawning today. Maybe just sort of say it with it. Yalla. Yalla. Now you can, oh, come on. Yalla. Yalla. Yeah. Uh, my, my, uh, in America, we have a phrase, uh, my grandson, who's uh, nine years old, uh, is used with me all two weeks ago when we were with him in America. It's like, chop, chop. You know, come on. Let's go. Come on, Appa. Let's go. Now, I, I had a little bit of a conference with some local people here today to make sure I wasn't giving you any misinformation. And they verified a local Arab speaking and Jewish and Hebrew speaking that, yeah, it, sometimes it can be used in a sense of um, anger and frustration and impatience, you know, and, and a very uh, uh, ugly or even abusive, uh, accusatory, condemning type thing. But at its heart, it's uh, think of, of a parent trying to give encouragement. Think of our own Abba Father trying to go and encourage us to come to him and repentance and faithfulness. Think of when Jesus says at the end uh, of the Gospel of John, when he says, you follow me. Is he saying that to Peter and the disciples after his resurrection in a tone of accusation? Hey, you follow me. Or is he saying, I'm risen, I'm here, I love you with an everlasting love, I am with you, I have amazing purposes I'm calling you into, come on, follow me, yalla. Yeah, so that the Father's heart, the Father's heart coming out to us first in compassion and encouragement. I think of from Hebrews when it says, surrounded by a a cloud of witnesses, who are encouraging us on all the time. Don't forsake the the gathering of yourselves together, but encourage one another. Yalla! To one another. And so uh, the the parable that we'll look at, the story that we'll look at that Jesus gives, it has him saying to to the uh, expert in the law of which he was having this uh, back and forth with, he says, get started, do this. And again, I'm not hearing him just sort of say something, well, here's the academic conclusion to our dry interchange. I win the argument, you don't. You're the loser, I win. 
I'm not hearing him say it in a voice of accusation. Well, this is the way it is, but guess what? You're left behind. I hear him wanting to win a heart into uh, restoration with the Father and to the kingdom and saying to him, I'm offering you the life which is only possible as a gift of God. And yalla, come on, get on board. Come on, come on, get on board. Go and do this and you'll live. I'm hearing him say to all of us who, who come here to worship and maybe come with uh, uh, you know, some weariness, uh, some uh, physical some fat- uh, fatigue, uh, some wear and tear in us spiritually. Uh, may, you know, whatever it is, we come to be fed by our gathering together, by uh, the word opened in the, in the bread and the wine, in his body and his blood, that we would be strengthened for the journey. Our, our uh, scripture opens calling us uh, on the Holy Spirit, that we would be renewed by the Holy Spirit. In this prayer of preparation, that we would walk in the light the life, the love of God, and we would sanctify his name. In the uh, reading from Colossians, it put it that we would live in a manner worthy of Jesus, that we would live in a manner worthy of the gospel. If we belong to the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if we belong to Jesus and are redeemed by his blood, You know, he's not just sort of saving us for heaven, but he has an amazing journey for us to walk now in his purposes, in the the presence of his kingdom now. And and we're given a a vision of his heart. It said that uh, St. Paul, he prayed uh, uh, in thanksgiving for the people, uh, the saints in Colossians. And he said, you love so much because of the hope that you have within you. Knowing who they belong to, knowing that their sins are forgiven, knowing that they belong to the Father, knowing that they're not just going to heaven, but the kingdom of God is right now. And he says, I am present with you and I have purposes with you. St. Paul prays for them that they already have that love flowing through them and that it would grow more and more in wisdom and knowledge so that in their life now, they would be magnifying They'd be magnifying and proclaiming more and more with more authenticity and depth and power the uh, life that is the gift of God. They would sanctify the name of the Lord. They would worthily magnify uh, the name of the Lord. They would, uh, 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 that they're, they're the, the Lord's life and love would show through them. And we're told in Deuteronomy that uh, So the Lord says, I put before you life and death and and, and choose life, choose life. And and, And the commandment that I give you to love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, it's not too hard for you. It's something that I intend for you to be able to do. And in that passage, it's an amazing time in Deuteronomy, it comes at the end of the book, and the scene is that the children of Israel are being are ready to go into the promised land. And they're not going to be led by Moses. They're going to be led by Joshua because God is saying to Moses at this moment, today is the day that you're going to die. And now I'm going to go and transfer leadership to Joshua. But I want people to renew, renew the covenant. I am the God who has compassion on you. And that word is used in here. God describes himself. He says, I will have compassion on you. 
I am the one who has compassion. Any compassion that you have is a gift of my life flowing through you. I am the God who's going to have compassion with you. And the amazing thing in there, I was, I was blown back when I saw it. It says, I will, I will circumcise your heart. I will do something new in your heart. I will, I will fix your heart so that you can keep these commandments. And uh, again, I was expecting to see that a lot later. I forgot that it was even in here, but um, you know, you know there, there it was that in, in this lesson where God says, uh, you're going to be able to do this because I myself, oh, here it is, and the Lord, your, this is the Lord speaking, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants so that you can love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and that you may live. And therefore he says, so it's not gonna be too hard for you. Why? Because it's going to be my own gift to us. Well, that was a blessing, you know, for, for me to, to, to hear because as I began to open up this encounter between the, um, the uh, for lack of better word, the lawyer, but the, the expert in the Torah and Jesus. And uh, Jesus uh, calling him to say, let's move beyond all this head stuff into, come on, yalla, what are you doing with your life? Are you following the Lord who can give you the life that's only his gift and, and behaving like a neighbor, living like a neighbor? rather than trying to go and play around in your head with legal things of, nah, I don't know if I have to do this because it's not settled who the neighbor really is. But as I, as I entered in studying, but then really praying about this in my own journey this week, I really went through the, the press, the Garden of Gethsemane, through things happening in my life and among those people who I loved, through things happening in my own heart. When one side... I had the accuser coming up in my prayers and saying, you're going to get up and talk about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. And from the time of my birth on, just confronting me with every moment of failure with that. As a person baptized, as a disciple, as an ordained priest of the church saying, look at this, 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 this. I'll tell you, it was painful as uh, the accuser came in with memory after memory after memory of failure after failure after failure of, uh, you know, where uh, not only was I that priest and Levite passing by and I was not the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Samaritan behaving like a neighbor, uh, but I was just a human being and a disciple. I thought, I have not lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. You know, I have, uh, you know. And then the Holy Spirit beginning to uh, speak into that and saying is, you can't do this on your own strength. You can't do this on your own strength. This is the life, eternal life. What must I do to have eternal life? The questions asked by the lawyer. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I believe the, the, the issue is not just what happens after I die forever and ever, although that's very important. But am I living the life which is the gift of God right now? What do I have to do to live the life which is the gift of God? And the, and the spirit began to come by with uh, not a yalla of condemnation and, and accusation, but yalla, yes, you failed. 
And we're going to confess that failure that we have not loved our neighbors as we have not loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We'll have that confession of sin in this service as we do every service. We come to the Lord's table, not with our uh, perfections, but with empty hand of saying, I am a sinner which needs your, which needs your forgiveness. I'm a, a sinner which needs your restoration. And God says, yalla, yalla, come, come, come. I want to give you the thing that you need. And in the verses that follow this, what is the Lord doing? We're going to go and find next week a woman sitting at his feet who will not be taken away from just being in the presence of Jesus. We're going to hear uh, Jesus go and say, this is how you should pray, and, and giving us what we know as the Lord's Prayer, or maybe, maybe we should call it the Disciples' Prayer. And we're going to hear him end by saying, Knock, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Ask, knock, ask, seek. How much the Father wants to give you his own spirit of life. If we choose him, if we choose life, if, uh, and if we knock, if we ask, we give, the Father is more than ready to go and give us his presence and his Holy Spirit. Yalla. Yalla, the, ver the word is not in the Bible, but I believe it captures, if we understand one way that it's used, the heart of a father towards us, his children, the encourager, the coach, the, the eternal call of God that was in there from the very beginning, that when Adam and Eve uh, sinned and tried to cover up their nakedness with, with leaves, God says, oh no, I'm going to dress you myself with skins. And those animal skins, blood had to be shed. Some, something had to be in the place of. And in this, uh, uh, this encounter at the, um, in Deuteronomy, this, this last day when Moses is going to die and Joshua will lead the, the children of the land and God's renewing the covenant, he gives Moses a song to say, in this song, you know, have the children uh, learn it so that we can remember of how our hearts are always, uh, you know, are, will always uh, fail and forsake God. But of his faithfulness, and the very last verses are, and God himself will make atonement for the land and for the people. God himself will make atonement. And I've talked to a lot of people say, well, it doesn't mean what you think it means. Well, I think it does. <laughs> because we see it all through scripture of God taking the initiative to, to uh, go and those he, he judges to redeem, of those he smites to heal, of those who die that he raises. God knows our hearts. He knows our hearts and he says, yalla to us, not in a final word of condemnation, but yalla, I myself will make atonement. So, we're coming into the story today, and uh, who is telling the story? Where is this encounter? And it says that Jesus was on a journey. He was on a final journey. He had set his face like, like rock, like flint, to head to Jerusalem where he was going to, and he taught his disciples over and over again. He says, 
take heed how you hear. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying is I am going to be rejected. I am going to die. I'm going to rise again. This has to happen. And he's, he's moving towards not just his death and his resurrection, but his, raising, but his ascending again and his, and his glory. Death, resurrection, ascension, and to be, and to glory. Our path to our redemption, but to his glory. And uh, uh, in that, you know, why is, he, why is he going there? Again, because like in, in uh, the song of Moses in Deuteronomy, you know, we're people who have broken his heart. We're people who have strayed. We have not been a neighbor. <laughs> we have not behaved like a neighbor you know, to our maker. He made us for himself. And uh, as a matter of fact, as a, a, the scripture is very clear, not only do we sin, but that sin is marked by rebellion. When we were enemies, not just when we were wandering and lost sheep, but when we were out and out enemies of God's rule and authority and kingship and lordship in our life, at that moment, uh, he comes to be neighbor to us. And I'm told by scholars all through here, don't make this parable an allegory. Well, we're not going to make it an allegory, but we are going to say whose lips were speaking it. And if the lips that are speaking it is God incarnate with us, giving us a story from his own heart. And it's the God incarnate who was already on the road uh, to his death and resurrection uh, to give his life uh, for the forgiveness of our sins and to give us the life which is eternal life, which is the gift of God's own presence and restored fellowship with us. So while we won't allegorize the parable, we will say that he who gave it has already showing himself to be neighbor to us. If we only want to say is, how does being a neighbor behave? How does it act? What does it look like? We have to look at the compassion, the compassion and the person and work of God as shown in Jesus Christ. The word compassion came up in Deuteronomy. It came up before there in Scripture. It's, uh, the, uh, Jesus looks out in the crowd. He has compassion on them. And everything that he's saying and what he's going to do for us is speaking of compassion, which is not just a feeling that God has, but an action. It's, it's God's heart mixed with his saving action. So God is compassionate to us first, just as in the parable, the enemy, the uh, religious, political, national, on and on enemy of the people then. They just had no love for one another. Glad that kind of stuff doesn't happen today. But when uh, all of a sudden the enemy is acting with compassion, that's an expression of uh, that life which can only come because it's God's life within us. So that's who we meet talking today. It's this person, this Jesus, this God incarnate who is, who is, who is uh, uh, coming through. And uh, in the midst of this journey, I love it there, the word behold, it's like, hey, look what's happening now. Wow, whoa, you know, just like all of a sudden, where'd that come from? But look, look. You know, someone who is recognized with all the, right, all the right credentials as an absolute authority in God's revelation to us through his word in Torah. 
ask Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And again, think of this as is not just what happens after I die, but what do I have to do to have that life, a life worth living? I'm God's creation in his creation. What's it all about? What makes the difference between existence and life and purpose? And Jesus says, what's written? Now remember how he, he deals with his temptations in the, in, the, in the wilderness against Satan. He always comes back to what is written, what is written, what is written. At the end of, of Luke's gospel, there's going to be two encounters where after his resurrection, he opens uh, uh, for uh, the disciples on the Emmaus Road uh, the scriptures of what is written. And they say, wow, uh, in, in, the, in the Torah and the prophets and, and uh, in all of the Hebrew scriptures. And they said, about everything in there that concerned himself. And they said, wow, didn't our hearts burn within us while he opened the scriptures to us? What was he opening up? He wasn't opening up uh, the gospel of Luke or the book of Revelation or, or you know, Colossians or whatever. He was opening up the Hebrew scriptures and saying, it's all about me. And, uh, and, and after that, when Jesus met again uh, in, in Luke, right before the end, and it said that he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures of Moses, the Torah, the five books of Moses, the prophets, uh, all the rest of the writings, Psalms and the rest of the writings, everything which is the Hebrew Bible. So if that's an authority for Jesus, if that's important to him, you know, he said, if you want to find out the life that's worth living. If you want to have the life that is the gift of God himself, and later he says, if you want to know me, you've got to start by looking in his word, which is the only Bible that Jesus used. And so he asked him a question, how do you read the Bible? And there was lots of controversy in Jesus' day, and the whole spectrum of people reading it different ways, lots of arguments uh, and debate and discussion. And uh, and the man answered with an astounding answer, which comes out of Jesus' own heart and lips at another gospel. It says, love the Lord your God. Now this, we're going to actually sing this in, uh, uh, in a few, as we do in this church every week called the Shema, uh, the, that oath of allegiance out of the book of Deuteronomy, which uh, uh, God's people uh, proclaim his kingship, his lordship twice every day. And uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your uh, strength, with all your mind. And then he mixes with that something else from Torah, something from Leviticus, and he says, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if you say you love your neighbor and you don't love God, you're missing the mark. If you say you love God and you don't love your neighbor, those two go together. And Jesus says, wow, you've answered, you, you know, there's a lot of argument, a lot of controversy going on. You've answered right on the button. You got it. You got it. Now, do this. Yeah, do this and you'll live. This is not a salvation by work solution. Those who know Torah know that this is the response that's made when God puts a new heart within us. Jeremiah, you know, we remember where it says the days will come. Um, here we are. And behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, 
though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts. The same thing that was said in Deuteronomy. I'm going to do something to their heart so that you're able to do what I ask. I'm going to, you fail me, I'm not going to fail you. I'm going to do something to your heart. I will be your God. You will be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother. Know the Lord. You're all going to know me. I will forgive your iniquity and your sin I will remember no more. So a cleansed, renew us, renew our hearts that we can perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name. So uh, when he says, do this and you will live, one response that the expert in the law could have had is, I have not loved the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength. I have not loved my neighbor as myself. There's things that I do that I shouldn't have done. There's things undone that I shouldn't have done. This is a place where, oh, that's so true, that's life. But I fail at that continually. What, how can I have this life within me, which Torah says is only by the gift of God? But he didn't say that. He said, what's the loophole? As long as we don't understand exactly who a neighbor is, and that was a heated debate in Jesus' day. Is a neighbor just somebody who I'm related to? Is it the person next door? Is it my wife? Is it my children? Is it only the people who are the Jewish people? Uh, is it uh, you know, only this, only that? Uh, there was so much debate on who is my neighbor, but what a lot of people would do say, until the debate is settled, I'm going to give myself, I'm going to play mental games in my head, and I'm going to give myself lots of loopholes, lots of excuses, and I'm going to tell myself that uh, until this gets all figured out, I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, my strength, but somehow it's going to be disconnected. It's, It's caught up in this distraction, this, uh, exhaustion, this, getting stuck in reworking stuff in the head so that we excuse ourselves from or never really engage what the Lord says, the life that I want to give you is not trying to define the other person, but is creating that heart, that encouragement of, yalla, I'll give you this gift so that you can Join me in living the life of a neighbor with one another, behaving like a neighbor to one another as I first am with you. And so, Jesus, I believe, is not trying to shame. Now, maybe the lawyer in trying to test Jesus where he stood in the great debate was trying to shame him. Who knows what his motives were? But I don't believe Jesus is trying to say, I'm the winner and you're not you know, or shame on you or, or embarrass him. I think there's a soul standing in front of the Lord where he wanted to surgically cut through that as he wants to surgically cut through us where we can fool ourselves or get caught in loop, looking for the loopholes 
or uh, trying to give ourselves excuses that, um, uh, where he's trying to, as a surgeon, by the power of the Holy Spirit and his word, expose our hearts. And then he gives us that story, which uh, so many things, you know, it's probably one of the most beloved stories Jesus gives. There's Good Samaritan hospitals, Good Samaritan ministries, Good Samaritan this and everything down through the centuries around the world in every language and culture and every expression of, of, uh, of Christianity. You know, a hero here. A hero. And my conviction is when God incarnate with us wants to open his heart and give us a story, whether you call it a parable or whatever, when he gives us a word picture, take, take some time to look at it, but it's not like what's the, what's, the, what's the point and now I'll throw away the story and just carry away the point. That story is important and it stays important all of our life. I imagine there's some of us here who first had that story before we can even remember. Maybe we were age one, two, three, four, five, or whatever, or heard that story at different points in our life. And, and, but it's God's own heart giving a story. And these stories is we are to step into side of them and allow them to transform us. I don't know how that works, but it's the power of his word. And he says, here is just the right words in just a few sentences, crafted just the right way. And there's many, many books and things written on it. Those are fine to look at it, but never forget the story. Never get the story because maybe it has more than one moral, more than one point, more than one application. And to take that with us during our whole journey, our whole life, and sit in it and visit it and marinate in it, marinate in it, and let it transform us. Let it be God's, you know how a, a, a parent teaches a child how to speak and they say words back and forth? Let that be God's own love language. Like a parent reading a book to us and saying, here, learn this story and carry it with you. And many, many times in its life, it's going to open you up and it's going to um, speak into your life for correction, for cleansing, for restoration, for uh, exhortation, for encouragement. But it's always going to be my heart there saying, yalla, 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 learn who I am and my Father's love. And so if we can allow ourselves a luxury without making it into an allegory, but realizing the God of compassion who's on his journey to his cross, resurrection, ascension for us to restore us to himself. You know, uh, that when it says that he who is the enemy, he who was the enemy of that day, that should those two men have met on the street, the person who was uh, lying now half dead and didn't know who was helping them might say, uh-uh, I can't take help from you. I'd be betraying my heart. I'd be betraying my family. I'd be betraying my religion. I'd be betraying my nation. I, I'd be a traitor. I will not take as much as a cup of cold water from you. Well, now he's passed out and helpless. And at the one, and that when any time the word is compassion, 
to go and look to say, hmm, this smells like God's own presence and life and love among us. And, uh, and that in here, when we see religion passing by, you know, because the lawyer just said, what is the absolute heart of the life of God that is his gift? And it's to love your neighbor as yourself, to love God by loving your neighbor. And so the answer should have been, as religion passes by, they should be the first to be overflowing with the automatic, not even thinking about it, just the love of God, which is his gift flowing through us and to helping. But when religion goes bad, reinterpreting scripture to give itself excuses not to care, when religion goes bad or is immature or is dysfunctional, it becomes very, very bad. It becomes very, very bad and harmful and destructive. But here we have religion going bad and we have all of a sudden compassion showing up in what many would have said was the enemy and to realize the way the details of this is, it's with a love that cannot stop. The very love which constrains the person to stop, to get down, to, to begin to tend with his own resources there, to put him on his donkey, to take him to the inn, to go in and care for him, to go and take of his own resources, to give to the innkeeper, and it says, I'll come back. It's like a faucet that has been turned on and it is automatic. It's from, the, it's from a, a loving heart and it cannot be turned off. And we think of Jesus' own words in the Gospels where he says, you know what I want to put in you? I want to put in you my own life of living water that will just keep welling up and overflowing and overflowing and overflowing. And not a spigot that you turn on and off, a faucet you turn on and off, but a well of living water which just flows and flows and flows and flows and flows. And again, as I stand with my own life before that, I thought, that's not me. <laughs> that's not me of my own strength, of my own heart, whatever. You know, oh my golly, how often I fail my Lord and I fail. There's no place of neighbor, no matter how easy, no matter how many places I look for. I can't even be a neighbor to myself, let alone to my wife and to my children and to, uh, and, and to literal physical neighbors and whatever. I fail continually. And, uh, and so when it says go and do likewise, how do we do that? How do we go? You go and do the same because that is the life. How do we do that? And again, next week and the weeks to follow, Jesus will tell us the answer by, Yala, come to me. Yala, learn how to pray and to be in the Father's presence. Yala, seek and you'll find. Ask and knock and the door will be open. Ask and it will be given to you. I will give you my own life, you know, to do this. What I ask you to do, it's not too hard for, uh, for you. It's a life worthy of the gospel because it begins, the love that he asks us to give is a love that begins in the hope and the assurance that we have in the cross and resurrection and our identity and our place in Jesus Christ. So we come forward this day with humility. We don't come in here to celebrate our perfections and our greatness. We come here with humility. We come here to be convicted before our, our, 
our Lord of, uh, and, and his word opened that the very life in, uh, that we, he offers us, we're incapable of living. But he says, yalla to us, not in condemnation, but come. Receive forgiveness of sin, the assurance of pardon to all who truly repent. Be fed with my body and blood for the journey and to go forward uh, in my strength to do those things that he has prepared for us before the foundation of the world to walk in. I want to close just offering a prayer which comes out of a, a great saint of the church before all the divisions of the, Rep of the Reformation. Saint Francis lived before all of that. Some say this was written by him. Some say, no, it's just attributed to him. But it's known as the prayer of Saint Francis. It's been around for many, many centuries. But it gives us that picture of what it looks like to go and do likewise. And, and perhaps, you know, you can find this at home and you can go and put it up in your mirror, on your refrigerator to encourage you to go. And the very things that we run to receive Rather than saying, Lord, when are you going to give it to me to say, how can I be a giver of these in God's strength? Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, let me give pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Grant me the grace that I don't seek to be consoled. Rather, I give it. That I don't seek to be understood. Rather, I seek to understand. I don't seek to be loved, but to give love. For it is in giving that we will receive. It is in pardoning that we are unpardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Do we want the life of God right now that only he can give? Come to the giver. And the very things that we want to receive, he says, Yalla, you can do it. Go out and give it. And in that giving, you will know me and my presence and grace with you. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.